0: Hey, welcome back to Trail Break Radio, the Winter Wildlands Alliance podcast. I'm David Page. We're in the midst of an inaugural nine-part series bringing you compelling conversations from our 10th Biennial Grassroots Advocacy Conference held this past September at CU Boulder's Mountain Research Station at the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. The conference, produced by Winter Wildlands Alliance every two years, was sponsored this year by Outdoor Alliance, Mighty Arrow Foundation, and REI. Today's topic is relevant to anyone who seeks adventure beyond their own front yard. We'll be delving into the art of getting from home to the trailhead, exploring innovative transit strategies that aim to improve equitable access to our cherished wild spaces, while also ensuring they're kept in good shape for generations to come. From micro transit to gondolas, how do we make sure that access to the backcountry is sustainable and equitable? Do we build more parking lots and infrastructure to improve access? Or do we limit infrastructure to give greater opportunities for solitude and to give the resource a rest?
1: Once I start touring, I get away from people. And it's really not hard to do that. The hard part is sometimes just getting to the to the parking area.
0: You'll hear from Gary Kofinas of Teton Backcountry Alliance, Jay Erickson from Wasatch Backcountry Alliance, and Anthony Kupayolo, representing Tahoe Backcountry Alliance, sharing their innovative ideas on how to access the heart of public lands efficiently equitably and sustainably. Today's episode is sponsored by Tahoe Mountain Sports in Truckee, California. Stick around to find a coupon code for a sweet discount. So put those pods in your ears and listen in while you're on the bus, biking to work, or waiting in line at the lift. And join us as we unravel the challenges and possibilities in the world of transit to trailheads. This isn't just a conversation about transportation. It's a passionate quest to protect both the access and the health of the backcountry. Welcome to panel three. I'm really excited about this one. We've got um, sort of, in my my mind, coming from the Inyo National Forest, where it seems like we have boundless backcountry skiing terrain and we can find all sorts of niches without people. Um, We've got what I see as kind of the future of backcountry skiing here. We've got the the Wasatch over on the far right here, and the uh, Wasatch in the middle, Tahoe on the far right, and uh, the Tetons here, next to me Um, and we're going to be talking broadly about you know in this in this new era where the numbers are exploding of backcountry skiers and more and more of us are wanting to get out and and obviously we have the same number of trailheads generally and those trailheads are getting more and more busy Um, how do we manage those people how do we get them there first of all in a sustainable fashion um, and, and how do we mitigate impacts, right? I mean, generally, I think from an equity standpoint, from an inclusivity standpoint, we're excited to have more people in our realm um, because hopefully that translates into having more stewards, but that takes some education and where do we do that education and how do we get people to places without having to build more and more parking lots and gondolas and, and turning our back country into you know, basically a big commercial resort. Um, so these guys have been grappling with it on the ground, so it's it should be a really, really good, exciting conversation. I'm going to give you guys just each couple minutes, just introduce yourself, please, and 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 your organization and where you live. And then we'll come back around and talk about what, what you're each doing at, at the local level. So we'll start with you, Anthony. Sure.
1: Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Anthony Kupaello. I'm the executive director of Tahoe Backcountry Alliance. That's a part-time role for me that I took on just under two years ago. In my other work, I run a digital media outfit, First Tracks Productions, and have been doing that for over 20 years in the Tahoe area. Prior to that, I worked as a political consultant in DC and in San Francisco, and went to graduate school for political management. So now in my role at TBA, kind of some of that work that I had done, 20 plus years ago is coming back into play and it's it's good to see that the money I put into that wasn't completely wasted. Um, TBA is founded back in 2016 and you know, our, our initial focus is really heavy on infrastructure and in part getting our local agencies aware of our existence and you know, you're touching on that later that sometimes you know, uh, your transportation agencies for us it's Caltrans for a lot of the areas or, or even forest service may not know of you know, the user groups and where they are recreating. Um, So that came into play back in 2016 when we almost lost a big parking area for this area in the West Shore called Jakes, which is a really popular zone for backcountry skiers and snowboarders. And it's evolved in the last seven or so years. You know, infrastructure is still a really big component of the work that we do. We're kind of expanding more into the Equity side of access as well, so it's not just infrastructure. And we have a program where we work with the Washoe Tribe and purchase about 50 pairs of skis for for youth in the tribe, and and had some on snow days last year. And this year we're trying to build on that program and have a gear library to work with other dis you know disadvantaged kids groups. Um, and we're going to be talking today about one of the things that we're excited that we are a part of it's microtransit we're the only recreation-based microtransit in the tahoe region which is unfortunate um we're we're hoping for a large-scale expansion it's much needed in our area Um, our trailheads are are very spread out, they're often congested, they're often not plowed adequately in the winter. So there's a need to get people to trailheads in a way other than, you know, traditionally in 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 driving. And, and carpooling is super important and that's a big deal, but if we can get people to trailheads um There is plenty of space up above there like you know once i start touring i get away from people um and and it's really not hard to do that the hard part is sometimes just getting to the to the parking area so that's one of the things we're going to be talking about thanks
0: cool thanks anthony jay quick intro
2: yeah i'm uh, jay hughes erickson i am with wasatch backcountry alliance i was recently uh, elected vice president for the board i live in sandy utah just south of salt lake and we are facing a unique problem where we're not just focused on backcountry users anymore, and we have to tackle transportation for the entire ski industry of Utah, which right now is 1.2 million people annually. So we're trying to discuss socioeconomic equity and transportation equity solutions that solve the problem and kill the need for the gondola. And then we're working on other access issues for this topic. It's how do we, how do we defeat the need for a gondola?
0: Nice, thanks, Jay. Gary,
3: um, Gary Kafynas. I uh, serve as chair of the Teton Backcountry Alliance, which is a volunteer kind of a retirement gig for me. Um, I am uh, a professor emeritus, University of Alaska Fairbanks, a professor of natural resource policy, which informs our work. Um, our organization's four years old. We're almost all volunteer and uh, I'll tell you a bit about what we're doing and um, uh, some of the stuff that has to do with Teton Pass.
0: Well, while you got the mic up, why don't you go ahead and start. Tell us what's going on on Teton Pass, what are the issues, what are you guys working on?
3: I'm curious, how many of you have skied in the Tetons? How many of you skied Teton Pass? Well then, those of you who didn't raise your hand will know that this, I just want to point out that this picture's been Photoshopped, that there's really nothing like that there. The snow is <laughs> low quantity, very dense, heavy, and the avalanche danger is always extremely high. So if you haven't come, you might want to rethink the idea of coming. Um, wh- Super inclusive. Here. Here you <laughs> well, you know, I think we all do that about our areas, right? We're gonna talk a little bit about Teton Pass, which is one of the most, is the most popular backcountry ski area in Wyoming and our region, and one of the kind of nation destinations for great backcountry skiing. It's a spectacular um, access because you go from the west side, Victor, over to Wilson, over a 8,400 foot pass. Um, it's a very important corridor for workforce, um, Transportation. We have seven thousand cars going across that every day, bringing the work, the workforce to Jackson to have the jobs, because people can't afford to live there. Um, and um, there's also this wonderful Mount Glory, which and um, that's on the north side, the south side. Lots of trailheads. Um, our counter, we have a ca- and and it presents all kinds of issues uh, in terms of congestion and safety. We, did, we have counters at some of the trailheads. Late November to January 1st, 11,000 people. That's at Teton, um, at just the Teton Pass, uh, the very summit of the Teton Pass um, access areas. The top of the pass um, uh, um, accommodates about 70 cars. We sometimes have as many as 10 cars waiting. Um, The the Teton Backcountry Alliance actually initiated because of concerns of people hiking up, kicking off avalanches that could come down and kill uh, um, uh, uh, somebody who's driving to work. Um, And uh, and our issues have grown in terms of the kinds of things we're doing more and that more. Um, To address the problems of congestion and the corridor and such, we submitted a federal Lands Access Program Grant, FLAP. And if you guys don't know about those, you should look at them for your area. Um, I don't know, $4 million. And we propose all kinds of new infrastructure, parking lots, not bigger parking lots, but safer, more hitchhiking lanes, so on and so forth. Um, We didn't get the money, but they said, oh, let's give you 300,000 and we're gonna have the Federal Highway Commission do a Teton Pass Corridor Management Plan. Um, And that has, just received it two days ago, the draft plan that's been in the works for two years. And it addresses a lot of infrastructure issues, parking lots, ride share lanes, but it also um, talks about potentially having parking, that's spring, that's not a busy day by the way, um, uh, uh, pay to park like some of the forest service does, uh, and, um, and, and a possible shuttle with the money from the pay for parking to go towards running the shuttle. Um, One of the issues that I didn't mention is this area that we see as a parking lot, the Wyoming Department of Transportation sees as a chain-up area. And they say, well, that's not really a parking lot. That's a chain-up area. And so it's made all kinds of conflicts between. But we've developed a better relationship with YDOT, and we're, we're moving along. So my first glance at the draft corridor management plan is that they are recommending a a shuttle program and i just want to talk about that briefly we have been running an experimental shuttle program like once a month for the last couple winters um during uh COVID, we backed off a bit and it's been very um uh, well subscribed a lot of people using it in the one day and doing it it's been free and we've been exploring the idea of possibly running a shuttle from one end to the top of the pass or one of the trailheads on the other side and back uh, and going to our local government to give us a vehicle a micro transit vehicle and to give us maintenance and let us run the operation inspired by the Wasatch guys who have a shuttle program that they're running but in addition to that as Hillary mentioned we have a ambassador program 14 volunteers working there we are running public events there's responsible use dog poop avalanche safety wildlife conflicts preservation of wild lands that we're working on in the expansion of, of ski areas that Hillary will talk about. Um, and I, I guess I'm not going to say a whole lot more, except I want to, for discussion of our group, and I hope everyone will participate, I want to talk about some of the dilemmas. You would think, oh, shuttle, that's a no-brainer. But I've been asking members of our community, what do you think of a shuttle? And they they go through this kind of mental thing and they say, more people, you know, oh my God, more people. And then they go, but maybe less carbon. And maybe people will be, you know, um, be have incentive to park down low and come up for the day. But you know, Teton Pass is kind of place, I, I'm looking at it all day working on my computer and then I go, oh, it's three o'clock. I go up, climb up Glory, come down, I'm home at five, 5.15 or so. So um, how does a shuttle accommodate that kind of activity? Um, And so it's the balance between less carbon, easier access, uh, more people. Um, Ultimately, I think just to close, the Teton Backcountry Alliance is really focusing on, is trying to get people to focus less on stoke and more on respect, stewardship, and highlighting this human ecological relationship and to have an understanding of this place. I think we have been successful in culture change fewer people are hiking up glory in considerable conditions and skiing, the center punching glory bowl. And so with that, hopefully that'll stimulate some conversation.
2: Great.
0: Thanks, Gary. Jay, uh, 11,000 skiers a day. Sound pretty good to you.
2: Sounds about right. <laughs> I think, maybe more. I think it's actually a lot higher because <laughs> yeah, the gondola is supposed to move 5,000 a day and that's half the demand for one canyon. Um, But so yeah, Wasatch Backcountry Alliance, we're an all-volunteer board, uh, and we're hiring our first ED so we can start tackling some new things. Um, I'm pretty sure most people in the room have heard about the gondola issue we're facing and the phased approach. So phase one, which we love, is buses, tolling, and mobility hubs and mobility hubs will be the center focus of this. Uh, phase two is avalanche sheds, which were potentially in favor of two of them, which could re- reduce the avalanche closures by 86% per UDOT. And then gondola is phase three and we wanna kill it. And it's a $1.4 billion infrastructure project that per UDOT is to prevent the canyon being closed for 56 hours a year. So it's been shocking because When it really comes down to it, it's we have a greed and we have a self-entitlement issue. People want other people to take public transit so they can drive. And corporations want to suck every dollar out of every tourist and every local that they can. So I don't want to focus on why the gondola doesn't make sense. I want to focus on actual solutions moving forward. So how many people in the room have heard of mobility hubs? very few. So mobility hubs is transforming the way we look at transportation. So instead of going to a park and ride and sitting at a bus stop that's miserable and just hoping that a bus comes, it is turning an area in your town into a destination, a community center. So you would have a gear room, a bike shop, like together, you'd have coffee, you'd have like a Walgreens or somewhere simple that you could run errands, you know, doggy daycare, no dogs in the, Was- like no dogs in our wilderness areas. It's all watershed. You drop your dog off, you drop your kid off, you know, uh, and just go, go rip for a couple hours. Um, and the goal is to move the consolidation point away from the mouth of the canyon. You know, get people in consolidated cars and vans. You know, we want year round affordable transportation. Like your comment about what people are doing with like the Spanish community. This is something we're proud of because we want transportation equity, which means your background does not dictate your mountain access. So then if you put mobility hubs connected to current infrastructure and you have them, you can adapt them and you can expand them or you can add new ones. 50% of our growth is west of I-15, which is currently no possible public transit that makes sense to get to any of the ski buses. So instead we could just add mobility hubs in population density areas. And this allows us to have an area that we want to be at. And that's the big difference. Our goal is not to have people that can't afford to go to the resort, take the bus. Our goal is when rich tourists come and they stay at a hotel, they take the bus because it's the most effective solution. You know, we don't want to have people priced out. With the tolling and the gondola, for a fan, or if you took the gondola for a family of four, it'd be like $100 in the family. And if you have tolling and have a parking reservation and were a pass holder, it'd be $50 a car. Uh whereas our governor has said that he would like to have the ski buses compensated by taxes and some of the economic development in each mobility hub, you can have small businesses and then the mayors can come and be heroes for once and not break all of our trust in government by coming out and saying, like, we're gonna develop an economic area for my constituents and create an economic hub that allows for year-round mountain transit. The gondola only is winter transit, and right now we have no summer transit. I'm not sure where Chelsea is, but she's probably can speak on some of the numbers. We have some trailhead crowding, would you say? We have a year-round problem. It's it's not a winter-only problem. We're going into leaf season, and people are crazy, like (laughs) it, it is reckless. Because uh, they're not people that are like used to being in the mountains. They're like, oh, I can park here. It doesn't matter. I'm like, hmm, huge no parking sign. Actually, yeah, we we want to shift the way we look at transportation, and it's going to take the entire community. You know, we need to say, you know, maybe I'm going to take a slightly more inconvenient path up the mountains for now to prove the concept, so that we can remove phase three because it's not necessary.
0: So, Jay, before I pass it over to Anthony, can you just, I just want to back up three steps for people who maybe haven't grappled with, well, right, so you've, you've proposed some solutions, you've talked about the, the gondola, Can, can you just back up and just give us a little picture of what are the issues in, I guess, Little Cottonwood in particular, um, you, you mentioned like during leaf season, there's no parking. What, yep. what does it look like on an average morning in winter when there's fresh snow? If I want to get up from Salt Lake to, uh, ski across from Alta there on those yeah,
2: Cardiff pit yeah. Um, you're up before the sun for sure. Um, there's not a lot of parking in there and we used to have free parking by Grizzly Gulch they said technically they own that area and then they put it on a reservation system that's for pass holders. So that's been frustrating and the ski bus doesn't run early enough. So you, there are a couple areas you can go up and park where you're up early and if you're not down early enough, it could be one to two hours for the eight miles. And if you have a tourist, let's say from Phoenix with beautiful summer tires, and then they get stuck. It could be three, four hours. Um, it, it can be challenging. Um, we just did an event for the UDOT plow drivers and for the ski bus drivers as an appreciation event. Now we're working with the correct people in UDOT and we've explained to them our issues and now we're gonna get priority parking lots for a certain couple of the parking lots in Little and Big Cottonwood plowed by 530. Cause before they were like, no, we need to plow the roads. We need just other stuff. We'll try to get your lots by like eight or nine. We're like, this first shift's already over. Like I'm trying to, if I'm like feeling lazy, I'll be second shifter. I'll go by like 9, 30, 10. Everyone's coming off Dom Patrol. So we have very limited parking. We have no ski buses that stop at the trailheads. And they cut our bus system in half with very odd coincidental timing at the same time they released the gondola. Um, so they cut our public transit, but even last year with the bus service cut in half, they had 300,000 users. Our ski bus, our, our shuttle, I think at 1,400. So it's like, yes, this is important to have the shuttle, but the numbers of scale are astronomical. So that's this is like an example from the Bend case study. It kind of shows how something can look where it's a community area to come together. Do you actually want to be at? And then instead of having the bus stop all throughout the way there, you reverse it, everything goes to the mobility hub and then you have direct express buses to the key areas. And then you have micro transit shuttles that will stop at the trailheads.
1: Cool. Thank you. Uh,
0: So tell us a little bit about what's, what are the issues in Tahoe?
1: Well, first I just wanted to mention to Jay that us snowboarders could have told you that Alta weren't weren't good people for some time. Um, but uh, but going back to Tahoe, um, yeah. So if, if could you throw up the the map that we've got there. And so this is new on our website. We put it up last spring. And this is just a backcountry zone map. And and the point of this wasn't to be completely comprehensive. We're not trying to give away every spot that you could ski snowboard tour in the region but it's it's a place for kind of new users and and we are getting a lot of new backcountry users in in the region but just to kind of use as an initial resource and then the onus is kind of on them and we explain that in the map lower down um, that you know use this as a jumping off point but the reason why I have this up here is because I think what it shows is there's a lot of different zones and it's really spread out and so we're in on the east side is Nevada. The west, north, south sides, California. We've got, in the California side, we've got El Dorado, Placer, Nevada counties. Um, you know, we're on federal land, we're in state parks. We've got a lot of different jurisdictions, and, and that creates a lot of challenges and a lot of different people that, you know, we need to talk to to get things done. Um, being in the basin, too, in the Lake Tahoe Basin, we have agencies that are also, you know, they're kind of quasi-governmental, like the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency, that, you know, really helps guide for a lot of the, the things that, you know, what we want to see accomplished, and, and we need to work with them in order to, to get better transportation solutions. I mentioned when we first, when I did my intro, that, that TBA runs the only recreation-specific microtransit in our area we don't want to be doing that we don't want to be running microtransit quite frankly at all we're not a transportation agency i think our goal with this is is to show that there's a need and a desire for alternative ways to get to trailheads and and this is more about a a long-term thing i i I think about you know younger generations some of these new users that are coming in are, are very receptive to to using the shuttle um We'd been running a North Shore program for a few years, and last year we had a pilot program on the South Shore. All the days were used on the South Shore, 14 of 16 were used on the North Shore. So the demand is there, and that's even on, you know, some days where conditions aren't ideal. And, and that's a challenge too, right? Because we're we're scheduling these shuttles far off in advance, we're paying for them in advance, so we don't always know what conditions are going to be. But you need to do that, you can't just decide, hey, this Saturday we want to run a shuttle because snow is going to be good and people are going to want to use it. So there, that that comes into a to a an ROI. Then there's a, there's a cost involved, and and we're spending money on on this shuttle to make this happen, and and for us it it it's it's the long term, right? It's it's not about the fact that we're moving X amount of people on a given Saturday. It's about hey, agencies and 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 government um, needs to recognize that that they need to be at the forefront. It shouldn't be us, and but. Unfortunately, it is us right now, so we're doing the demonstrating, and that's that's kind of our, our plan is to have it go from us providing the program to eventually promoting the program. Um, and in the interim, there's other things, too, and, and I loved hearing, Jay, you mentioned that, um, you know, the paid parking, you're, you have planned to have that revenue go into shuttles, and, and to me, that that's a no-brainer, too, because we think about the carrot and the stick a lot. I don't love the idea of paid parking access, public land in in general, that, that ekes me out a bit. There's an equity issue there, but if you've got shuttles already there, then you have the option, you have the alternative. So yeah, take the shuttle if you don't want to pay for the parking. But what, what we're doing in the Tahoe region is a little backwards. We're creating more paid for paid parking first. And the shuttles are coming down the road. The conversations are just starting about that, and and that's unfortunate and, and something that I hope to change. And and I love that idea, Jay, about at least the, the parking revenue going right back into shuttles.
0: So so Gary, you're 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 running shuttles too. Um, one of the things we talked about. As we were sort of planning what we were going to talk about, was this idea of that that being kind of a unique touch point with users, that that shuttle drive. And I I sort of imagine you know Pirates of the Caribbean, and you have a driver who's telling jokes and tells you about how to you know how to move through the landscape, how to take care of your dog, how, where's the what's the avalanche forecast, all the opportunities to educate users, new and old, um, you know, be a mentor to the to the people here at the trailhead. Um, is that something that you're working on and, and how do
3: you scale that? Um, well, there are two things. One is, yeah, you have a captive audience and we've been using that by having someone other than the driver in the van telling about the backcountry lines, talking about conditions, answering questions. There are a lot of folks who ski Teton Pass who know Teton Pass and, you know, and I would say that with the experimental shuttles we've been running, people don't say, oh, they're running the shuttle today. Let's go take it. They come down Teton Pass and they end up kind of somewhere in the middle of something called the bottom of Old Pass Road. And they go, holy shit, a shuttle? Let's do laps. (laughs) And and they go up and, you know, so and then we get them and hopefully build our community. Um, Teton County received, our area received a $10 million federal grant called the BUILD grant and as a part of that they're building a transit center on the east side at the base what looks like Wilson there in that area and a big parking lot that people park to and take a free shuttle to the ski area and so we talked about a kiosk there that has a big screen that tells the avalanche and the back, what we call the backcountry pledge which are ethics of what to do in the backcountry so um i think it's an opportunity to have a captive audience and and help promote the education that plus boots on the ground i think it's the most effective of these people out there just talking to folks you're going up glory and you don't have a pack on do you do you you know you know about you know do you, those of kind of questions so okay
0: anthony are you guys doing that too in your your shuttles or is it just really just driver point to point or is that a an opportunity i mean one of the things that it seems like we find across the board is just that there aren't people on the ground in most places. There's nobody there to talk to people. So there's no point yeah for, for,
1: for us it, it's a little different because you know there's no one from TBA who's actually on the, the vehicles themselves. We contract out with shuttle service. But that said, we're in direct contact with our user group in terms of promoting it and, and we're very active in terms of you know on the education side of things. Um, you know, obviously we we look at leave no trace it's the bare minimum and, and really try to impart that and and, and we do that through through our member events, through Backcountry Safety Awareness Week, which is a week that we take part of. So I, I do think that that is it's vital, it's really important, but the, the shuttle service itself is not a primary area where we're doing it, uh, at least not yet.
0: So while you've got the mic there, Anthony, you, you've talked about return on investment and changing mindset. Do you have thoughts sort of strategically about how over time to shift from where you guys are the the, the only ones giving giving people rides to where that that's an agency run? Sure.
1: Yeah. So it, it's interesting. So California has got our, our, our natural resources division, and we actually have a, a, secret, a secretary, a secretary, deputy secretary for access, uh, Catherine Toy, and she's fantastic. And her, her department just put out uh, a whole report on, you know, kind of an equity for all access for all um, for in, throughout the whole state. And they basically have million to work with in terms of infrastructure for this. If you go through their, their, their whole thing, there's not a mention of the word plowing once and snow is only mentioned twice, just kind of tangentially. So it, it, it's not because they're anti backcountry skiers or snowboarders or family snow play. It's because it just didn't really register in Sacramento in terms of the importance of it. Um, so, you know, for us, like we're now, you know, having those conversations with her and her department, we've been down in, in Sacramento on lobbying days. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking to our, our agencies and, and our Forest Service supervisor as well and, and, and really trying to look at, you know, different funding opportunities and looking at plowing in, in Caltrans as, as an access vehicle um, and basically recognizing that, you know, for it's really expensive to go to the ski resorts and in, in the tubing areas. And so for families that want to get a chance to get their kids on snow, one of the few inexpensive options are the snow parks. And they actually did increase their, their day use fees last year from five to ten dollars. And, and that doesn't sound like um a lot, but that's you know, in addition to all the other costs in terms of getting up there, you know, uh, increase doubling the fee is is significant. But what happened last winter, and, and granted it was a huge winter, um, a lot of the snow parks just weren't getting plowed regularly at all. And you Know that that's that's a real shame because that really keeps not just backcountry skiers and snowboarders from getting a chance to access some of our favorite zones, but get you know, preventing kids from getting out and playing in the snow and making snowmen and sledding and and, and being the future backcountry stewards that that we're looking for. So I I think it's a long game, right? And and, and that's what we're we're recognizing and and you know, that creates some frustration at times, you know, like I have to say one of the few things I dislike about my role with TBA is, is recognizing how slow a process things are. But, you know, staying involved, staying engaged, going to these meetings, Going to these, you know, being on these different boards and councils and, and being having a seat at the table is integral. Um, you know, otherwise, you, you know, people don't know the needs and you end up with things like where I mentioned where we're where plowing isn't even a consideration in terms of access issues. Um, and I hopeful that won't be the case going forward now that we're we're a little bit more active. Mm-hmm.
4: Today's episode is brought to you by Tahoe Mountain Sports, where quality gear meets outstanding adventures. Nestled in the heart of Truckee, California, this family-owned gem is more than a store. It's a community hub for outdoor enthusiasts. At Tahoe Mountain Sports, gear is a passion, and their dedicated team is ready to guide you through every adventure. Say goodbye to impersonal big box experiences and hello to genuine customer service and a hassle-free rewards program. Connect with them on Facebook and Instagram at Tahoe Mountain Sports. Explore their website for top-notch gear and insightful how-tos and review blogs. And take advantage of services like backcountry ski and snowboard rental equipment, along with custom boot fittings for those backcountry boots. Head to tahomountainsports.com and use coupon code KEEPWINTERWILD a checkout to show your support for Trailbreak Radio and receive 15% off all the gear for your next adventure. The coupon code again is Keep Winter Wild for 15% off, and you'll be able to find a link in the show notes.
0: Looking forward, you know, it seems like there are solutions, maybe. I mean, it's super complex, but what's the role of Wasatch Backcountry Alliance and allies in, in making stuff happen and making it different?
2: Yeah, So as you know, Anthony and David just said, getting a seat at the table is so important and my predecessors have done a great job being able to work with the Central Wasatch Commission, who we do actually really like. They released the Mountain Accord, which was a fantastic document that was like so sensible and really was a proven solution. And then a lot of corruption happened and then they released the EIS on. Little Cottonwood, yesterday was a big win. I had a conference call with the mayor of Sandy, who, and Sandy is the town at the base of Little Cottonwood Canyon. And I just got us a seat at the table for the Little Cottonwood Winter Recreation Planning Group with Big Cottonwood, or with Cottonwood Heights, Sandy, Salt Lake City, Salt Lake County, and the Central Wasatch Commission. So we finally have a seat at the table to talk about these things, but it comes down to education education and making it make sense. So that's why we're really working with elected officials to say like, can we get some of these mobility hubs in test phase? Cause it is part of phase one. We got $150 million in funding. Friends of Little Cottonwood hired a lobbyist. We got 150 million four years early. We thought it was the biggest one ever. And then UDOT said you can't release any of the money until the gondola is approved. So the gondola is approved. And now we have the 150 million in mo- 150 million in funding. And we want them to, we want to be able to influence where that money goes, because right now we have the buses to bring back the ski bus and both lines of service, but they're saying they can't hire drivers, which is obnoxious because of how much, you know, it's a $1.2 billion industry in Utah. It's our biggest industry. So you think they could cough up some cash, but one of the things we want to work with more is the resorts like, Hey, Do you wanna make more money and you wanna have people happier when they're there? Do you want a family stranded outside at the bus stop for three hours like last year? No. So how about you work with us instead of against us because we want the same thing. We want to have more best days ever. And that's what it comes down to is how do we work together to get these seats to the table, to work with the other stakeholders, to provide a value proposition that says this solution makes the most sense, so that we can get buy-in. But we, you know, we want cities to have education plans on their website. We want the airport to have kiosks that say, "This is how you use the ski bus." And we want the resorts to be posting this. We want our organization to be posting this. But it's not a backcountry ski issue. It's a systematic transportation issue for the entire Wasatch Front.
0: Gary, you're giving me a look like you got something to say. So I'm just gonna let you say it.
3: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the question again. We're all looking at shuttles as a solution. What are the possible unintended consequences? Do shuttles increase the problem of congestion? And um, I'm an old guy in the 70s, I used to ski Teton Pass. We used to make an extra round of waffles. Otherwise, if we got to the top too early, we had to break trail. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> happen now. You know, And a lot of, the, of our constituents, the people working with us say, there are too many people out there. Now I know where to go to get away from them, but so in our case, should we close the parking lot at the summit? Make people skin up. You know, we live in a world where the 14 year olds are all riding e-bikes. Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of raising the, un, the, maybe the underbelly of what shuttles, uh, do shuttles increase the number of people getting into the backcountry, And is that okay? The folks who study yes. backcountry recreation, um, say the best way to limit, the numbers of people in the background is not to have a permit system, but just limit access. So I'll just throw that out there. I can respond on that.
2: We don't have the privilege to pretend that's an option at all. We are facing a huge influx in demand. We are facing backcountry recreation popping off. We want people to be able to access the same life-changing terrain that so many of us have been through. But getting more people there is part of it it's education and that is the most important it's educating our members educating our users educating people about coming here is you know do you have to go out at five in the morning you know can you go out at nine or ten can you take that second shift can you go out at 2 p.m and then come down after traffic you know can we split up when we're going up and it's Learning or like we just had it with our trail counting program, you can look at when each trail was being used. So you could go in and be like, hey, last Saturday in February, it was a big powder day. These trails were so busy. So go to other areas and teaching people other areas to help disperse it and get education and get mentorship and get partners because there's certain areas that are slammed, but there's other areas that don't have a lot of usage that have awesome terrain. So for us, we can't pretend that we're not gonna have an increase in usage. We have to learn how to handle it, and that's educating the youth, educating the users, and get people more focused on community, because self-entitlement is
1: destroying all of this. Anthony, go. Yeah, I, I mean, Jay, I think you nailed a lot of what I wanted to say on the education side. And, and you know, and that's where we come in. I mean, and that, that we, we have to play a bit big role in that. And, you know, in, in as good a job as we're doing, we need to do a better job. And, and that said, and, and I'm, I'm glad that that map is still up there. And you, you can see we, we've got a lot of zones. Um, and I I, I feel like we've got a lot of public land. So this is maybe different regionally. So I I, I can't speak to other regions, but I I can speak to the Lake Tahoe region. And we have plenty of room to put people up high. Um, Where we don't have room right now is is, is the parking. I've never really ever experience a, a backcountry tour where after the first 10 minutes do i see a bunch of people it just doesn't doesn't really happen um, i think it's pretty easy to get away from people it, it, the the issues for us is is the getting around the driving and then the lack of adequate parking um in in shuttle isn't the only solution to that i mean there, there there's got to be some some different things we need more trailheads quite frankly we don't have enough year-round trailheads for for the amount of people in the region and some of our summer trailheads that could serve as backcountry um, trailheads, the Forest Service gate closes and then there's no plowing. And so, and then it forces people to park in neighborhoods. So we, we have something that's, I think, maybe not completely unique to other areas, but a lot of our backcountry terrain rises right out of neighborhoods. And so that creates some conflicts where people are parking, sometimes blocking driveways, blocking mailboxes and, you know, getting ticketed and towed. And some people are getting ticketed and towed for not doing those things that are egregious and deserve to be ticketed and towed for it. But some people are getting ticketed last winter just for, you know, parking at the end of a cul-de-sac, um, you know, cause there was a couple inches of snow on the ground and it was considered, you know, snow removal, um, you know, even though the plows were not out on those days. So, you know, those are issues that that we're looking to tackle as well. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the public land that rises out of neighborhoods shouldn't be essentially country clubs for the people that are fortunate enough to live there. It's public land. So we need to find adequate solutions to get people to access the public land there.
0: Here, here, Provocative question there, Gary. So I want to open it up to the public, but just uh, from a note from my vantage I just I really appreciate the conversation I appreciate you guys coming together it's uh you know it's part of I think our vision as a coalition with Winter Wildlands Alliance is that you know we work on these hyper local issues that really matter to the locals and then you know, another region is dealing with the same thing, but maybe not communicating. And so being able to have a forum where we can occasionally share best practices and new ideas and, and also weigh in together on, on, you know, when it, when it comes time to weigh in on the gondola to be sure that we've got a national voice on that and not just, you know, one little group of backcountry skiers. I think that's really important across the board, whether it's forest planning, winter travel planning, transit solutions. Um, It's just, it's, you know, the more we can do to come together and, and uh, propose solutions, the better it's gonna be. Um, from the public, Keith.
3: Thanks guys, appreciate it. So
2: in Tahoe and in the Tetons, uh, I assume you guys have a r- rural transportation authority? You have bus services, right?
1: And, bus services,
2: please. Yeah, and have you approached them with the shuttle?
1: Yeah, we don't fully have that because I think as you saw on the map, our areas are so spread out. We've got different counties, different states. So we have issues where let's say up on the North Shore, we have a kind of a, a government uh, paid for micro called Tart Connect. The problem is it does a hard stop at the El Dorado County line and a lot of the best touring is gonna be south of that line. So we have issues along those lines. So that's why these kind of more private public partnerships i think have the potential to be better in our region um ultimately like we shouldn't have these hard lines right we shouldn't have issues like that and and the whole region should be working together um but that's a ways off i mean i do think those conversations are starting to happen but it's not a a next two to three year thing and how about in the two we have a bus service it's called the
3: start system it does run um commuters from the west the west side to the east side to Victor Driggs over to to Jackson um they are so maxed out they are sympathetic to what we want to do um they've even that's why I've approached them about giving us the vehicle and let us running it um but they have no bandwidth and even in you, can, you if you know what Jenny Lake is which is at the base of the Tetons in the park you cannot take a bus from town to Jenny Lake much less service backcountry skiers so um the, the issue is they have organizational capacity issues, but they like it Connor,
0: Connor in the back, and then over to
3: pete so um
5: I think with like the unique uh kind of population situations that each of your areas have and kind of with uh like Pete's talk in mind from from last night, where it's like we all want to uh have that like perfect silent powder day where you, you don't hear anything but the whoops of your friends um but also we're faced with this thing where we're like this is an incredibly transformative beautiful powerful sport that we have and we want to share it with everybody um and, and so i kind of wonder if you have found or if there's any like direct evidence that you have or case studies that kind of show that maybe we're on like a bit of a bell curve when it comes to uh you know like access um and perceived uh li- like our perception uh, of being on our own in these spaces um because like as you talk about it jay like I-, I feel like there's so much stuff uh in the wasatch um that that like I've gotten to experience through other people where I'm like whoa we're way out here I would have <laughs> never known and i couldn't have figured out how to get here on my own. Jack's taking me some spots like that. Yeah, you're a quarter mile from the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I just wonder like, if there's any kind of evidence you guys have around that of like, yeah, as we improve access first, it's going to get busier, and
2: then it's going to get better. I can go with the first response on that. So I know Tahoe and Granite Backcountry Alliance both launched membership programs, and it's saved my soul by not having to do all this stuff by myself but that's one of the big things we're working on is people are less likely to make shitty self-entitled decisions when they feel like they're part of something so we want to create a community for backcountry users so people can feel a part of something so they have accountability and i think when you see these people more often because right now in the wasatch field you go up the canyon and you go home and take a nap there's like nothing to do so being able to have a community focus and education and stewardship, I think will, I think we have a huge uptick right now, but it's because people don't know how to recreate responsibly. So I think one of the big things we want to do is teach people how to be stewards and to connect with the community so that they feel like they're more privileged and can go into these backcountry zones and be like, I want every generation after me to experience this. And I think that's the only way we're able to really tackle this is through community and education.
1: I, I just wanna add, and, and I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, so this is somewhat anecdotal. And if anybody can correct me on this, please feel free. Uh, we definitely saw what I would consider an uptick in terms of backcountry users during the height of COVID, um, especially when ski areas were shut down. Um, you know, th- this past year, which was a great winter. Definitely saw a fair amount of people out there, but it, it didn't seem to be growing. At, certainly not at any sort of exponential level. And, and I think we're we're in all of us in here are into a somewhat unique sport: backcountry skiing and snowboarding. There, there's a cost of admission, and it's not just the gear and the education. It takes a lot of effort, and it's not something that everybody wants to do. I don't think. And, and even if they think they want to, once they try it a few times, not everybody gets hooked. I have a hard time understanding that, but, but, but yeah, not everybody does. Right. Um, so I, I do think that, that it is reasonable to think that, you know, you're going to reach some level of like, okay, a, a little bit of an increase every year, but not these huge jumps like we may have seen in the past five years. And again, that's just kind of a little bit of my opinion. I don't know if that's entirely accurate.
2: We're experiencing the exact opposite problem. (laughs) <laughs> our, our resorts are super crowded and people are fed up with it and sick of it and dealing with resort traffic. The higher up at the Canyon you go, the longer you're stuck in the Red Snake. So we're having a huge boom in backcountry users because people are just fed up with being in a super crowded resort.
3: We are putting great effort into education. We're trying to manage the congestion issue by not making more and larger parking lots. Um, and but there are more people than there have ever been going into the backcountry skiing and riding. Um, and people are grumbling more and more about it, particularly the locals. And I know that there is a, call it a tipping point, call it a threshold where your the experience that so transformed my love of winter backcountry changes. I mean, I've skied Grand and and Chamonix and we talk about the powder hour. <laughs> it's gone, boom. <laughs> And we just have to be aware of that, not necessarily try and limit the numbers, but know that there might be a place where there's. we don't want the experience that we have to suddenly be changed because of the many, many people. Who knows? We may never get there, but just be aware of it.
0: Connor's got a follow-up there.
3: So
5: just to clarify a little bit, because I love what all of you said, but I, I just wonder if there's this thing where it's like, Uh, like with the Tetons in particular, I feel this sense of like, um, or at least like knowing the region there a little bit better. Um, It seems like there's this thing of it's like, okay, everybody's headed to the glory booter because that's like the simple thing to figure out. Is there a bit of a remedy for some of these access issues and being like, well, yeah, we've got the secret spot, such and such over. Like if everybody's secret spot was a little bit less gate kept is there ways in which that kind of would improve the process overall? And and I think like, does that community aspect that Jay had mentioned like, play into that? You know, is there a way that like, our kind of liberation is maybe in our togetherness and in our shifting of like, this spot is for locals, as opposed to like, let's make it known because it actually relieves some of these
3: specific issues. What we didn't have 10 years ago were guidebooks, and now we have apps. And there are lots of places, but like you said, people go up 80% of them parking on top are going up glory. I bump into them and they go, which way down? (laughs) oh gosh, You know, but so yeah. Um, and being a good citizen, you see somebody out there and they ask you a question and you don't worry about telling them where your good fishing hole is. You, you share information, you give them a great experience and you're happy to have them there. And that's what we, you know, I, I agree that that's a kind of a a way of dealing with this
2: we have wbs ski so wasatch backcountry ski map and app and it has 70 percent of the all backcountry ski runs mapped out with avalanche train readily available you can click it you can get directions to trailhead guide you with the compass so I'll i'll show you it <laughs>
1: I got a question over here. Yeah, go Um, Mike. I just came from another conference um, for an outdoor media conglomerate and basically the takeaway is that we all feel better in the outdoors, so get outside. And I felt like the lone wolf out there being like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) We're loving most of these places to death and these places are fragile. So my question for you guys is, have you started any collaboration? I know we're sponsored by some of these companies or things like this, but it seems on one hand we're trying to protect and inform and educate the public. And on the other hand, the companies selling us all the gear to go do it are telling you to go out and be bro, bro, stoke, stoke it up without thinking about it. It seems like there could be much greater collaboration with the broadcasters, the marketeers of what we're trying to protect.
0: Yeah, that's a huge topic, and it's something that I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've been at this for about seven years now. and When I first came in, part of what drew me in was the outdoor retailer. Thing. And, and there was this, you know, it's a trade show, it's a huge industry event, selling gear. But back when that was in person and when the whole industry was there, there was this kind of interesting zeitgeist that I felt when I was starting where it was like, there was pressure on those companies to do good, to be responsible, to do conservation, to, to engage in equitable access. And 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 there was money flowing to conservation groups from those organiza- from those companies, and then in a mix of like OR moving from Salt Lake to Denver, which was an important thing politically, and then COVID, there that event really just fizzled. It just disappeared, and so that, yes, there are still trade shows, but there isn't any longer that like. Focus on the industry, like what are you guys doing to mitigate the impacts that you have from the gear that you're selling doesn't exist anymore. And what I've noticed and, and my fellow Outdoor Alliance EDs have noticed that it's like it's just pulling. we don't have time to chase the corporate dollars anymore and they're not there anymore. And the, the industry is paying They pay into Conservation Alliance, which is awesome, and and sometimes people can get a Conservation Alliance grant, and it's really around this sort of marketable conservation product. Like, how many acres of this landscape are you gonna save, and can we take a photo of it? And and it's like gap funding, like for a film. It's like, if we can get this done in a year, we'll give you X number of thousands of dollars if it translates to this many acres. But if it, you know, the complexity of what we've been talking about, Conservation Alliance is like, yeah, we can't fund that. We can't market that. We don't know how to do it. And the companies too are like, well, I don't know, how are we gonna fund that? So they're, they're bright shining spots, some companies who are still doing it, but they're doing it at a loss. REI has lost money the last two years. Um, and they've committed like, this is something that we need to do. But that, that thing that you're talking about is real and we need to keep that pressure on and find ways to keep that pressure on. And it's not super obvious right this moment.
1: I just want to say so, um, you know, in my other work, I'm a photographer and and videographer. And, you know, I've been fortunate in some of my projects in in recent years to see a few of the companies that that get it. Um, And and it's certainly not all of them. Um, I'll, I'll just point to Flylo low as one example. And, and, and I think that they are really on it. They've supported a couple of, of film projects that I've worked on And one was about, you know, just how to create, you know, giving back to to area trails and this crazy effort that this kid did on Everest ride to help, you know, support area trails. And this other one is one, um, it, it's with, uh, Brennan Lagasse and Michelle Parker, um, about recreating on native lands and, and, there's a sundowner siren that just got silenced. It was the last sundowner siren. Is everyone familiar with a sundowner siren? No. Um, So siren in Western towns that used to go off in areas at at six o'clock or whatever time. And it meant if every one person of color and it's mostly pointing towards indigenous people need to be off the street in the next hour or else, who knows what would happen to them? And, and there's plenty of stories of some awful things that would happen to them. And a lot of our terrain, our backcountry terrain, that you know, particularly in the South Shore, we're up on the peaks, Freel Peak, Job's, Job's sister. And you look down right below the in Carson Valley is the town of Minden where this siren took place. So so yeah, sorry, long story short. So Flylo support is supporting like that sort of project in terms of getting these stories out um, and, and things like that. And, and I just feel like that we can do a better job then of highlighting the companies that are doing a good job. So those are the Companies that get more support, um, you know. And then one last thing, I'll just add. I'm also an avid mountain biker, and I feel like the mountain bike industry in general is pretty pretty awful. With with it, you just see lots of photos of people roosting berms and things like that, and it's it, it's it's disheartening. How like, I feel like they've been slower to change and slower to 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 get to where they should be than 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 the ski industry. And the ski industry still has a way to go. I know, like one thing we're
2: doing in the Wasatch is we're launching the Be Local Buy Local program. So if you're a member, we have three different tiers, 75, 150, and a thousand, and we're working with local companies to have them give discounts to our members. So for example, Wonder Alpine, they do a great job with sustainability, their algae line, and they're giving us 10% off soft goods, 10% off hard goods, and then pick out your own pair of skis, watch it get made. They'll mount them for you and go ski with the athlete teams. So we're trying to really promote these local businesses that are sustainable, that are environmentally friendly, because our goal is, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and 10% is kind of the price threshold between buy online and buying in person. So we want our members to go into communities and into these businesses that support these, you know, support their passions and their dreams and stop buying, you know, back countries gives us some money, but they're also in park city. Um, and we have companies like that where they're just printing product. And we really want to focus on used gear on the importance of consignment stores in areas on sustainability, reusability. We've done stuff with Patagonia on their secondhand, um, product line, teaching people how to fix their own clothes or we're talking about potentially doing an education event on that, but. You don't need new stuff every season, and that's like, again, education. Like, do you need three different color ski jackets? Maybe.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Gary, go. Um, There's a meeting happening right now, and I was invited. I couldn't. So my colleague Tom Turiano is there with a group of outdoor retail, outdoor company representatives, and they're talking about responsible use. So that's encouraging. Tom and I talked about this beforehand. We talked about the hunting fishing model. Those companies are required, I think, through taxes to contribute to stuff that that ensures the conservation of the resource and the land. And, you know, there's there's a way there, and there was a uh, there was a piece of legislation that was proposed. Um, one of my dear friends from one a company that I won't name nixed it. And, and as a consequence, we have this hodgepodge of different kind of company. So that's another model um, to look at. And uh, every time I go out in the backcountry, I go, "Everybody's, place, where was all the old skis? Where did they go? You know, where's all the old gear? They've all got this new stuff. Anyhow, so it's a really important topic. Thanks. Peter.
6: Tyler. Hey guys, great job up there. Appreciate everything that you're doing. I'm Tyler with Granite Backcountry Alliance. And uh, you know, we can commiserate together, particularly with a beer afterwards, on uh, you know, the efforts that it takes to do what you're doing, because it's a lot of work and all of our issues are a little bit different. Um, uh, so it's super interesting for me to hear that knowledge sharing and and really important. Well, sitting while sitting here listening to you talk, uh, you know, I think the the brands, and I think that's a whole another topic, and we'll probably touch on that tomorrow. I'm on a on a panel and uh that we'll wrap that into some of it. But what I wanted to hear about today is that. You know, it's clear that uh, amongst the three-year organizations, it it sounds like it's quite clear that you know stewardship education is the low-hanging fruit, right? And that is the 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 piece that really um, turns the dial. So, Winter Wildlands has this um, um, amazing uh, ski kind program code of conduct. What percentage of your stewardship efforts incorporate that? That's the question. Well, just I'll say one more thing. If we all utilize some of the resources that we have in the room with our different organizations. So there's a similar message, not just in your local community, but nationally, we all, our voice our gets elevated so much higher. So I guess I could phrase the question, but I could also ask everyone in the room to also do that at the same time, because all of David's work, Hillary and so forth makes it challenging. If we don't, if folks aren't embracing the tools that we already have, and if they need to be improved, then let's do that too. So, anyway, that's the question, I guess. Ski kind of you guys incorporating the that?
2: response that you don't want. Basically, none. We're transforming that right now. We just did a big leadership change. We just hired our first ED and we're launching. We've been an advocacy group. We have not been a community group. We have not been focused on backcountry education. We have not been focused on any of that. We've been focused on land access, on transit on all these issues and we are fundamentally transforming the organization and it's going to be great to learn more about your membership program, about Tahoe's, so that we can become the backbone of the community for the backcountry users and right now we are not respected in that way and we're looking at a very aggressive political org and that's one of the things, that's why I was elected the VP is because I'm leading the project to transform the way we look at community and to build it because educating, just like we have 15,000 Subscribers that maybe a thousand read it. Where it's like, how do we get that education out? You know, we have 20,000 people on Instagram. So it's like, once we have this community and we get buy in and people feel like they're part of something bigger, then we can educate them because they have buy in. And like this Vermont Backcountry Ski Handbook, awesome. Totally going to use a bunch of this. Ski Kind by the end of this conference I will have stuff ready we're in the middle of redoing the website and we're launch that's what we want to focus on is how to educate people and that's why I'm really glad to be here and be new to this industry is because there's such a wealth of knowledge in this room right now that I would love any help possible
1: you know I'll I'll just add that you know we have very similar messaging And in in, in in your point is taken about you know being you know working on on the exact same messaging so we're not fighting different battles but i i think our messaging is not only similar but we, we certainly incorporate the the be kind messaging through multiple events when we host the backcountry film festival um last year three or four spots and this year we plan on on hopefully increasing that to five or six. And, and I think that the Backcountry Film Festival is a really great opportunity to not only reinforce the ski kind, which is usually incorporated at the beginning of, of, of the whole uh, session, but the films that are selected for it, they, they really, most of them kind of play into that whole messaging as well. Not all of them, some of them are just fun, right? But but a lot of them really do. And so I, I think if you have the opportunity to to go, or, or more importantly, if, if you have the ability to host a backcountry film festival, I, I certainly recommend doing that. And it's a great opportunity to to meet more people in your user group and, and to be a fundraiser for, for your groups as well.
3: Yes to Ski kind. yes to the film festival. I want to jump back to the a film, a funding issue that happened in our area that might be helpful to you. There is a tax levied on lodging, and that goes into a statewide pool. And it's really a promotion of tourism, and a lot of states have that. And we were able through a lot of people's efforts to say, can you add in promote tourism and educate for sustainable tourism? And they finally bought it at the Wyoming legislative level. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) They must've been drinking or something. And, And so there's an enormous amount of money that we have access to, which funds our ambassador program. And it could help all of us if we could look at what, where are the promotion The tourism promotion dollars going and what about sustainable tourism and can it fund that too so that's just something for us and i just like to echo that you know i've had we've had some conference calls with backcountry alliances a few of them they've been so helpful learning from each other so i encourage you guys to keep bringing us together to just learn from each other
0: yes sir we will do so okay so on
3: that great note thanks guys
4: This episode was produced and edited by Tess Goodwin, hosted by Winter Wildlands Alliance's Executive Director, David Page, and directed by me, Emily Scott, Winter Wildlands Alliance's Operations Coordinator. Our music is by Rattlesnake Preachers, featuring the famed backcountry busker and founder and director of our National Snow School Program, Carrie McClay. Find them on Instagram at Rattlesnake Preachers. Thanks to our panelists, Gary Cofines, Jay Erickson, and Anthony Cupayolo. Thank you again to our conference sponsors, Outdoor Alliance, Mighty Arrow Foundation, REI, and our episode sponsor and backcountry partner, Tahoe Mountain Sports. And thank you for listening to Trail Break Radio. To find more Winter Wildlands Alliance content, check out our website at winterwildlands.org. Explore our membership benefits and support our work to inspire and empower people to protect America's wild snowscapes. Next up, Commercial ski resort projects are popping up all across the country, including new chairlifts and gondolas, extensive snowmaking upgrades, and significant expansions of commercial development onto public lands. What are the concerns for wildlife, climate, watersheds, local communities, and backcountry skiing? Can ski resort development be done sustainably? Tune in to our next expert panel on the topic.